Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I got uh, I got a little cold, so I'm staying away from people um, this morning. So if I get, I'll give you a fist bump, but no handshakes. Um, I'm Harold. I'm the campus pastor here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you in the lobby again, you hopefully won't get a cold that way. So um, we share in our family, and so Hagen gave me his cold. And then Kim, who had an ear infection, was just getting over hers, and then I gave her my cold. And uh, again, we love each other, and that's what we do in our family. Um, hey, be praying for those that are at Kalahari, uh, the retreat that's going on. Uh, it ends today, but we have six of our students and five of our adult uh, volunteers. <laughs> be praying for them that they can actually recover this week. Uh, um, they're with 2,500 others who are at Kalahari. And um, so be praying for them. It should be a good time. Looking forward to hearing back uh, from them. I also want to thank uh, Ann Kyo and Clark Shrek. Uh, this week I said Kim and I ended up been feeling so good, and so they jumped up and taught for us at our Bible studies. And appreciate them, and really appreciate all of our staff. You know, even right now, uh, people who are worshiping God by serving us, by watching the kids, and uh, doing our children's ministry, and teaching them about the Lord, which is exciting. And in men, I have a challenge for you. Um, <clears throat> we believe, according to what Scripture teaches, that uh, men are to be the spiritual leaders in their homes, uh, in their, our church, and in their workplace. Uh, and unfortunately, yeah, especially in our day and age and in our country, um, it seems like a lot of men are lazy, and they have a tendency to give that over to their wives or even to their children. Um, they do that in their homes come to church, and a lot of times they're like, well, women are already doing it, so we don't have to do it. Um, and so, but that's not what God wants. God's designed it, that we as men uh, pursue Christ and we lead. And so what we do around here is we provide opportunities for men to be trained and developed to do that. And so I'm challenging you that uh, on Saturday, January 21st at 8 o'clock, uh, either in my office or in the quad, depending on how many people show up, um, we're going to be talking through what we call our men's leadership group. And I'll be explaining to you what that's all about. But briefly, it's, uh, we're going to be talking about theology and doctrine, some foundational stuff, and a ministry philosophy. What are we, what are we are, uh, about as a church? And so it's an informational meeting on the 21st. Find out more about that. And then after that meeting, you can uh, decide whether you want to be a part of that. We meet once a month for about 10 or 11 months. So we'll finish up by December. Um, and it's usually an hour and a half. Sometimes Clark shows up and then it goes three hours, but we, you know, we're like, doctor, please. Um, just kidding. Um, but we've had some guys that actually have gone through it twice. Um, and there's, uh, you know, there's 16, I think, have gone through it um, in our five years. We're going to be six years old in March, so that's exciting. Um, and so, yeah, that's good stuff. But uh, anyways, the other thing I want to do is I just want to pray before we get into God's Word, um, just, uh, I don't know, just been heavy on, heavy on my heart recently that uh, we've got a lot of people, a lot of families in our church going through a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, we've, we've got people in our church who are uh, followers of Christ and uh, who are experiencing stuff, and so they're learning what it means to 
to rely on him and literally take one day at a time and literally do the next right thing and but it's not always easy because life is difficult we have people who are part of our church family who uh, would say well I'm not really sure I'm a Christian or I'm definitely not a Christian I'm kind of checking things out and and so they've got stuff going on in their lives and God wants them to know that he's there for them and will walk them through whatever it is that they're going through and um, and so I just want to take a few minutes here and pray. Um, if you join me, I'd appreciate it. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for today. Um, your word says this is the, the day the Lord has made, and we're supposed to rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, you say in your word, Lord, that, uh, that life isn't going to get easier once we place our faith in Christ. It's just that you're going to take us through whatever we're going through. And not just take us through it, but teach us more about who you are. And For those who don't know you, it would be a way of drawing them to you for salvation. We have received that salvation from you, and now we have a relationship with you that's for us to, to grow and develop and become more like Jesus Christ, more dependent on you, like he demonstrated when he was on earth. So Lord, I just, uh, I pray that those who are going through uh, challenges. Um, Lord, I can't change the heart. I can't. I can only say so much, and others of us can only say so much and point people to you and encourage them to do different things. And But Lord, ultimately, you're the one who changes hearts. Ultimately, you're the one who's going to reveal yourself in a, in a, a powerful way in their life. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you do that. And I pray that our church family would continue to grow spiritually, uh, becoming more like Christ as individuals, and then for us together as a church to grow. And I pray that we'd grow numerically in the sense of people uh, trusting you and entrusting their spiritual well-being to you and placing their faith in you. And then, Lord, through that, that we'd see more people do that. And we continue to grow in our faith. So Lord, again, just uh, do what you do and what only you can do in the hearts of those in our church who are struggling right now. Give us wisdom and discernment to know how best to serve them. And we pray things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, I appreciate you uh, praying with me. Let's go ahead and grab your Bible or your device or whatever it is you grab the Bible with. Uh, we're going to go to John chapter 3. It's page 1060 if you're using the Bible there in the seat that, that we provide for. And let me just encourage you. I, get, I know that we have it up on the screen, and we do that because we want to be cool, like other churches. And because, uh, you know, look at this. This is not very cool, so we do everything we can to be cool. But I really encourage you to, to make sure during the week you're grabbing your Bible, you're opening it up, you're reading it, and having a conversation with God about what he's written to you about. But then you also bring it to church. And so that when we go into it, you've got the Bible open. You can see. I could, you know, I can change what I put up on the screen. I can finagle word. Not that I'm going to do that, but, you know, don't just, don't just trust me because I'm such a good guy. Um, have God's word open. Bring it with you. Make sure you're aware um, of what's in it. Well, um, you know, I've been around long enough. I'm, I'm old. And so uh, I, I understand, and I think you guys would agree, that really, at the heart of everyone's concern is the question, 
where will I go when I die? In fact, the reason why I know that is because there are so many people working so hard to not die, right? They're doing everything that they can to make sure they don't even want to talk about it. And the reason why they don't want to talk about it is because they just don't know where they're going to spend eternity when they die. My, uh, my uncle, uh, my dad passed away a year ago, and uh, my uncle is uh, on hospice now. And uh, my brother, Eric, went up to be able to see him, which is just thought was really awesome. I appreciate him doing that. And uh, we don't know where he'll spend eternity. Um, my dad, for years, talked to him about Jesus Christ. And uh, I know I've had uh, at least one conversation with him at, at a meal. He took, my, took him and me out for breakfast one time when we were back in Chicago. And uh, they believe uh, his church that he went to, they believe in what's called a social gospel. And the social gospel would say, you be good to others, and that's how you get right with God. Um, and so be a good person. It's called a social gospel. Do nice things, good, good deeds, um, um, that type of thing, which, again, to me is interesting because if you're doing good things for other people so you get to go to heaven, that would be selfishness. And so what you're saying is God wants sin to get you in heaven. So logically speaking, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but if you were to ask somebody, or, or for you wanted to get the answer uh, to where will I go when I die, don't answer out loud, but just think about it. Who would you go to? Who in this world would have that answer? You know, maybe, maybe it's a friend of yours. Someone who's maybe religious or somebody who just seems to be really smart. You know, so they'd have to have a, a good idea of what would happen when we die. Or maybe it's a, a sports personality or a media personality or a media influencer, right? Those guys that are on YouTube and Facebook and they've got something to say about everything. So maybe, you know, you find a sports person who's a Christian and well, they, maybe they know how to do it. Or maybe you go to a priest or maybe you'd go to a pastor, maybe you go to a mom. I mean, who, who would you go to to find out where would you spend eternity? It would make sense to me, anyways, if that was me, that I would go to the person who would know. Like the person who is actually from heaven, who would know, like God. <laughs> right? Like if you like if you wanted to come to my if you came to my house and say, Harold, how do I come how do I get into your house? How do you how would I get you you would come to me and say that, right? Because and then I would let you in. Well, it's the same thing with heaven. Now, we want to know how to get to heaven. It would make sense for us to go to the one who would let us into heaven, and that is God. And that's, that's what we're doing here when we go through John's biography of Jesus, this gospel of John. Because John is saying at the end of his uh, gospel, he says, I've written these things so that you may know you have eternal life. So the Bible is telling us, God is telling us, because we believe God ultimately is the one who inspired Scripture, is telling us, you can know that when you breathe your last breath on this earth, that the next breath you take will be heaven. You can know it. Which to me, I'm all in favor of, of that, of knowing it. So the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at John chapter 1, John chapter 2, and, and when Jesus shows up, we find out from John chapter 1 that, 
that John is saying, hey, listen, Jesus isn't just some guy. He is actually God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. He was the one who created this world. He, he's also the one who gives life, physical life. He's also the one who gives spiritual life. And actually, if you believe in him, you can become a child of God, which is basically saying eternal life, which is basically saying you get to go to heaven because you're part of God's family. And when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist, he's like, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, this is, this is God. This is our Savior King. And when these other, his disciples, some other people started following Jesus, they're all like, we believe that you are God, that you are the King and Savior. And then we find out that he goes into, into Jerusalem, he goes right to the heart of Judaism, the Jewish religion that man had taken and distorted and twisted and made it something that wasn't even what God had originally designed it to be. And he goes right in, he, you know, he takes a shot across the bow and he says, listen, you guys are doing this wrong. He, he wipes out their money-making scheme that they have, but he tears the temple apart and tosses them all out. And, and the religious, religious leaders, they don't think he's God. They, they just think he's the number one guy they're going after. That from that point forward, they're going to figure out some way of getting rid of this guy. And then we find out at the end of John chapter 2 that there's a bunch of people, it says, that believed because of what Jesus was doing. When he got to Jerusalem, evidently Jesus was doing all sorts of miracles, these signs, as John calls them. And, and what they are, they're proofs that Jesus is in fact God. And so people were believing, but it says that Jesus, and you can read it for yourself, we're not going to do it this morning, but Jesus says that he didn't believe their belief. In other words, there's a belief that is not saving belief. That you can believe some things about God, or about Jesus being God, but it's not saving belief. And then we have John chapter 3. And again, we, have, we deal in chapters and verses with our Bible, so what the editors have kind of set up so we can study it. But, you know, this was just, you know, page after page after page after page of this autobiography. There's no page and numbers, and there's no chapter headings and all that kind of stuff. So immediately after saying that, John gives us this interaction that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Comes to him at night. Jesus is probably busy during the day. Nicodemus didn't want to be seen because, again, he's one of the religious leaders. And he doesn't want the other religious leaders to see him talking with the most wanted, the guy that they're looking to get rid of. And he's seen Jesus do a bunch of miracles. He's heard about the miracles that Jesus has done. So he's got some questions to find out what is going on with this Jesus guy. And so this is what it says. Now, there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's part of the San, Sanhedrin. I'll explain that in a bit. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, means teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So we don't, we don't see you as God, but we believe you came from God and, and that you're a teacher. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, let's get to know Nicodemus a little bit. Again, he's a Pharisee, so he's a religious leader. By the way, religious leaders, the Pharisees, these guys, uh, we think about someone being well-trained. These guys were crazily well-trained. They had the Old Testament memorized. In fact, when they debated, 
they wouldn't debate issues. Someone would ask a question to show that they knew Scripture better than the other Pharisee. They would ask a question back to them. Based on, you know, it was kind of a weird way of de- doing a debate, but it just showed how much they knew. So Nicodemus knew Scripture, Old Testament, well. All right, this, this is not talking to some, you know, schmo who just happens to get, you know, he went up on Google, found a, you know, Pharisee certificate and got the download and signed it. Okay, this guy knew stuff. And so he's also a member of the Sanhedrin. So he's part of this group of 70 and 71. There's the high priest and then these 70 guys. They kind of set themselves up as the elders of Israel that Moses had back in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and they were the, the civil and religious judges, the rulers of Israel. Everything passed through them. Whether it was civil issues or whether it was religious issues, everything went through them. They were the ones who judged everybody, who set down whatever sentence needed to happen. Again, both you know, in civil government as well as religious. Uh, you'll remember these guys. These are the guys who paid Judas 30 uh, pieces of silver to turn his back on Jesus Christ. These are also the ones who um, told Pilate, hey, we need to kill this man. You need to put him up on a cross. The same people, just three years from now, Nicodemus, part of that crowd. So he, he comes to Jesus and he says, oh, hey, teacher. Now this is, this is, uh, this is Nicodemus being, playing nicey-nice with Jesus. Because Jesus is not a Pharisee. He's not a teacher from their standards. And Nicodemus would have known this because Nicodemus is one of the teachers. He's the one, if anybody wanted to become a religious teacher in in Israel, they would have to go through the Pharisees. No one named Jesus from Bethlehem, Nazareth, has ever come through. He's just being nice, just being complimentary trying to warm up to Jesus. Because again, he's got some questions that he wants to ask. And so he says, hey, we, we believe, teacher, that you came from God. We're not saying you are God, but we believe you came from God. And, and by the way, your power seems to be something that God would be doing. What's interesting is later on, we find out that the, the religious leaders thought that Jesus was actually doing what he was doing by the power of Satan. And so they shifted their belief, or they always believed it, and he was just being nice, but they believe, oh, well, you're doing this because you're possessed. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the arrogance of someone going to Jesus and saying, yeah, we know you're doing that through Satan's power. I mean, you talk about putting a lightning rod on. I mean, yikes. One other thing, Nicodemus and all religious Jews, they believed that they were right with God because they were born Jewish. So just them being born physically as a Jew made them right with God. Then they needed to keep the law in order to keep right with God. How do you know you're right with God? How do you know that or how do you know um, that you're still right with God? How does it all play out? See, Jesus knows We found this out last week. Jesus knows the hearts of people because he's God. And so he knows where Nicodemus is at. 
He knows that Nicodemus has a, a, a deeper question than maybe these questions that he's got coming, that there's something deeper here. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is wealthy. He's powerful. He's knowledgeable. Not necessarily the correct knowledge, but he's got it all. But Jesus knows that there's something more here. There's something deeper here. And, and what Jesus says next takes whatever he questions he, Nicodemus had and he kind of just pushes them to the side. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered. Again, there was no question, but he knows that deeper there is a question. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, he's going to say this three times. Truly, truly, I say to you. We don't really talk that way. If I wanted to get your attention normally, be, hey, listen up. I got something. Eyes here. You know, it's like when the kids were small. Remember? Grab them. My kids, like, you did that and their cheeks just folded over. Just, Look at me. Got something for you. All right? So this is Jesus. He's grabbing, he's grabbing Nicodemus by the face and saying, listen here, I got something for you. I'm not necessarily doing that, but here's what he says. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, who is God, is telling us that if you want to get to the kingdom of God, there is no other way to have that happen but for you and me to be born again. What in the world is he talking about? First of all, the kingdom of God. There's three aspects of the kingdom of God. Basically, it's wherever is Jesus reigning as king. So where does God have, or where does Jesus have control? The way to put it. So right now, it's in our hearts. It's internal. So when we place our faith in Christ, he becomes the king of our life. We become his servant. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's our master. We're his servant. We're also his, we're God's child. And so we're his servant. So what he tells us to do, we do. We don't question it. We don't complain about it. We don't, I mean, we do, but we're not supposed to. Um, because he's, He's our king and we're his servant. We're the plebe. We're the underling. And so, uh, you, can, you can go back. To the, there you go. And so, right now it's internal. The Bible also tells us at some point it's going to be external. And it's going to do, be so for about a thousand years. Re Revelation talks about it. We won't get into the details. But trust me in this. And you can read it. That there's going to be a time where Jesus returns to earth. I know, blow your mind. But he's going to return to earth and he's going to set up a kingdom. Uh, his reign is going to be in Jerusalem, and it's going to be this external aspect of the kingdom of God. And Israel loved to talk about that. Uh, Old Testament talks a lot about it. But eventually it's going to be et eternal. We talk about heaven. It just makes it easier to say just heaven. But there's going to be an aspect that at, once he destroys this world, he's going to, Scripture says, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be this spiritual, physical thing happening where we're going to be on another earth all those who have placed their faith in Christ and we're going to be with God for eternity. And it's a beautiful place. John couldn't even barely describe it. And the second thing is born again. So born again in the Greek means this. Born again. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Wow. So powerful. Um, brings a tear to my eye. It just means this. We are born physically. 
right? Okay, <laughs> you're all born physically because you're here. We know that you were born physically because you're here. You're here, not here. Some of us don't have hair. It still makes us human. We're just perfect. Anyways, then we need to be born spiritually. Born again. Okay? So that's what Jesus is saying. You can't be in the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. Look how Nicodemus responds to this. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, we laugh because some of us have heard this story before. We've, we know about this conversation Jesus had when he was here. Imagine, though, the first time you ever heard somebody say that, you've got to be born again. And you had no real religious understanding, because Nicodemus was religious, but evidently didn't have a whole lot of understanding. He said, you must be born again. He's like, I can't go back into my, my mom, can I? And all mothers are going, thank you. Jesus answered, hey, hey, listen up. Unless one is born, so now he's going to explain it, what's born again? Unless one is born of water and the spirit, the Greek word is pneuma, it's going to come into play in a bit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's no other way into heaven. If you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, no, I think there is. No, there's not. God is saying there's not. But that, no buts. I, and again, this isn't me. This is Jesus. Okay, so I'm, don't get mad at me. God is saying this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Physical births, physical. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Numa again. Spirit births spiritual life. Do not be amazed that I said this because he knows Nicodemus' heart and Nicodemus is going, what? What? You must be born again. I mean, how many times does he have to say this? The wind. Greek word is pneuma. Blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So, in the same way, is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, we don't see the wind, we see its impact. We don't see the Spirit, we only see His impact in a person's life. And so, Nick, Nick, Nicodemus, he can't, I have it in my notes as Nick, so I have to write Nicodemus all the time. He, he, he's like, what? I don't, back in my mom, this is no, I don't understand. It's Jesus, listen, I'm not talking about being born again physically. I'm talking about being born Spiritually, he uses the word water and spirit. The word and is a word that connects these two. You have to have both, water and spirit. The editors of the Bible put in the spirit because they want us to understand from context that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, not just any old spirit that someone might find. And so when we understand, okay, what does he mean by water and spirit? A little uh, lesson here on how to study the Bible. When you're studying the Bible, what you want to determine as best you can is what is the audience who is reading the letter or the gospel, what do they understand? So what did the first century church, especially the Jewish people, understand Jesus to be saying? But even more so because he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, 
What is it that Nicodemus understood Jesus to be saying? So, this is not talking about Christian baptism. Why not? Because it hadn't been invented yet. So, for Jesus to say, hey, you need to be born as a Christian and then from the Spirit, Nicodemus would be what? What's a, what's a Christian? What do, you, what do you mean by that? So he's not talking about Christian. You can't read back into it something that hasn't happened yet. So other people say, well, it could be the, the baptism that John was doing. John the Baptist was baptizing people. What, so it's a baptism of repentance. And basically what he's saying is, uh, Jewish people were saying, hey, we've been doing life wrong, and we want to get back to doing life God's way by the law. We want to remain right with God. And so they would get baptized in water to say, that's what I'm doing. I'm turning from myself and turning back to God via the law. But if it was that, then it would be like, oh, you need to do a work. You need to do something. And that can't be because Scripture clearly teaches, Jesus teaches from this point on. It's not something that we do to receive. It's something that he does in us. It's a birthing process, if you want to call it that. So what's the best translation? The best translation is he's referring back to something that a Pharisee would have understood if he, taught, if he had learned the Bible correctly back in Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says this. So God speaking to Israel through Ezekiel says, For I will take you, Israel, from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. That's when the returns happen. So, real quick history. Uh, Israel, division, they had a civil war, divided. They, uh, both sides were um, not following God and not doing life God's way. God had told them before they ever went into the land, if you do that, I'm going to discipline you by having other nations conquer you. They're going to take you and disperse you through their nations, and you're going to be out of the land for a while, but eventually I'm going to bring you back. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, these men God used, to bring Israel back into the land. So that's what he's talking about there to Ezekiel. So they're back in the land. Next. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Now, this is symbolic, right? We get that. This is symbolic, right? So this is not like, and then you come into the land, and there's going to be a rain shower, and you're all going to get it wet. Yeah, we get it. That this, is a, this is symbolic. He's going to cleanse them with water. I will cleanse you from all the filthiness, the sin, the spiritual at a spiritual level, and from all your idols. Now they they literally worshiped idols. We we worship things today, not necessarily idols, but we worship things. Um, they worshiped idols, which caused them to do life how those idols told them to do life. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Again, this is a work of God. This is not something we do. And that God's not like ripping our heart, our chest open and grabbing our old heart and putting a new one in. It's not a physical thing. This is spiritual. And I will remove the heart of stone, the one that's spiritually hardened from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And normally we say flesh is sinful, but in this case, he's talking about one that's pliable, that's, that's um, healthy, okay, not hardened. So it's sensitive. How will God do this? I will put my spirit, he's talking about God the Holy Spirit, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So when Jesus says this to, to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, that should have just popped into his head. 
Because again, he knew Scripture well. And what Jesus is saying is, I, when I put my Spirit into you, then you'll do life the way I want you to do it. He doesn't say, do life the way I want you to do it, then I'll give you my Spirit. It's not do the good works, then because of some physical thing you're doing, you get heaven. No, he's saying, I'll put my Spirit in you, then you'll do the physical things that show that my Spirit is in you. So he's, he's talking about that. So, okay, real quick. <laughs> um, I'll try to do this faster than I did in the first service. I, I, I'm going to do a different illustration. So you got physical birth and you got spiritual birth. I want to compare and contrast these two really quick. So the first thing is this. No one births themselves physically. Right? You all agree with me? Have you ever talked to somebody? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I did this myself. Yeah, I just... However you would do that, yeah, I did that. No, we get it. It takes a, uh, it takes a, a mom and a dad, right? Male and female. I know, we're getting to weirdness now because I'm talking about two different genders. Anyways, so you got a male and a female. They get together. I won't explain that. You can explain it to your husbands and wives later. But they get together and physically... And then they have a physical demonstration of that. A human. Physical. No one births themselves. How do we know we're physical beings? How do we know we've been born? Maybe another way. Yeah, we're here. Right? I'm not saying, hey, listen, this is not, I'm not trying to trick anybody. This is the truth. And so we, we walk around, we do life like physical people. Not always good, sometimes right, but whatever the case, okay, you following me? Spiritual birth. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us. No one births themselves. Now, we weren't shocked about that over here with the physical, right? I guess I should have done all this over here. That shouldn't shock us with the spiritual. That's even more so than this, where we don't birth ourselves. It's something that God does in us through His Holy Spirit. How do I know? How do I know if I've been birthed spiritually? I have spiritual life. Well, same thing as a physical. I live it. It's lived out in me through the Holy Spirit, by the way. Knowing His Word, being empowered by His Holy Spirit, I do life his way. He, he, he talks about this, the wind. And again, he, so he, did, he does another illustration of the wind. How, how, many of you see, how many of you have seen the wind? Okay, you haven't. Uh, I don't want to be mean or anything, but no, you really haven't. You've never seen the wind. You've seen the effects of the wind. You've seen the, the trees, you know, the leaves, you know. When I had hair, you see the hair I don't go up. Um, yeah, I know some of us again perfection, but we we see we see the effects of the wind. We hear it. Same thing with the spirit. It's something that He does in us, and how do we know it? We see the effects in our lives. How do we know we have spiritual eternal life? The Holy Spirit will change us. 
Sadly, Nicodemus' training didn't give him this. He had learned the Old Testament wrong. It happens. Look what he says next. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, which he is, and do not understand these things? Go to the next. Hey, listen up. We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven. Who is that? The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus. So Jesus is saying, listen, I should know. I'm God. See, Nicodemus supposedly knew God. Supposedly knew all about him. Supposedly was teaching people about him. But he didn't know at all. And Jesus is trying to tell him, listen, I'm God. You haven't been to heaven. You've only been here on earth. I'm telling you earthly things you don't believe in. How are you going to tell you heavenly things? Spiritual things. I'm God. I know. And so he says, let me show you this. I'm going I'm I'm to um, go back again to the Old Testament and see if you catch this. And so he goes back to Numbers 21. And it's really quick, what happened there is um, Israel was in the land, or not in the land, they hadn't gotten to the land yet. They'd been freed from Egypt. We're in, we're in the wilderness. And they were complaining. Uh, God hadn't given them everything they wanted. They had everything they needed. They had great food. Uh, they had shoes that, or sandals that didn't wear out. And everything was good to go. But they were complaining because it wasn't what they wanted. So they're complaining to God. They're complaining to Moses. And they're like, you should just take us back to Egypt. And so God's like, okay, listen, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to discipline you. And so what he does is he takes some snakes, some poisonous snakes, and he lets them loose in the camp of Israel. And so the, these snakes are going around. They're poisonous. And they're, they're biting people, and people are dying. And so they come to the Moses, like, hey, 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 we need your help. Hey, go to God for us. Kind of like what you know, Jesus does for us. They're like, hey, people are dying from the poison. And God says, okay, listen, uh, Moses, here's what I need you to do. Take a, take a bronze snake, make a, a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, stick it up in the air, and tell the people that if, if they believe me, that when I say, look at that snake, you'll be, you'll be healed, then you'll be healed. Every one of you. Not, you can't like, I'll look for you and you'll be healed. No, no, you need to look, I need to look, we all need to look individually, personally. Poof. And so he did that and the people who looked were healed. And the people who didn't, who saw the people who were healed, looked. Because they wanted to be healed. And then Jesus says this, As Moses looked up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, not an option, the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him uh, will in Him have eternal life. So Jesus is saying, listen, here's the reason why you have to be born again. Why you have to be born of the Spirit. Why you can't do anything to receive this salvation knowing eternal life. Because I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the one who has to do it. I must do it. God must do it. Read on. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes, whoever entrusts their spiritual life 
in him shall not perish. That perish is speaking of, of death, not just physical death, but a spiritual death in the sense of being judged for our sin against God for eternity. Which Jesus will talk about here in a moment. They won't perish, but have eternal life. The kingdom of God, heaven. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. When we talk about have you been saved, we're saying have you been saved from God's judgment through Him. Who, he who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. And that phrase means their judgment is certain because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why is this? Because this is the judgment. Here's the issue. You want to know what's keeping you from eternal life, from God, from having a relationship, from you know, all the different ways we could phrase it. That the light, Jesus, God, has come into the world. The one who gives spiritual life and spiritual understanding has come into the world and men, human beings, not just men, but women, human beings, loved, same word that he uses for God's love, loved the darkness, the spiritual death and ignorance that we talked about on week one, or actually Christmas services, rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. In other words, they'd rather sin and disobey God. For everyone who does evil, who disobeys God, hates the light, hates Jesus, and does not come to the light for fear that it, his deeds will be exposed. In other words, they don't, want their, they don't want what they're doing to be known by anybody, certainly not by God. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Why? So a person who has placed their faith in Christ, they, are, they pursue the light, they pursue Christ. Why? So that his deeds, their deeds, may be manifested that they may be seen by others as having been wrought or empowered by God. How do I know I have eternal life? Because I'm going to pursue Christ and I want other people to see it. God loved. It's that word agape. It's, it's a Greek word for sacrificial love. It's not a warm fuzzy. It's not a love that's all emotional that comes and goes. No, this is a, a strong commitment that no matter what it costs me, no matter how much it hurts me, I'm going to do what's best for somebody else. God is saying, listen, what's best for you is for you to not have my judgment. So here's how I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to, God the Son is going to come as a man and He's going to take that judgment. That hurts. Have you, have you read about the crucifixion? That's pain. Have you been asked to love somebody at that level? No. Has the way that you've had to love them hurt you? Yes. That's just like Christ. Just not to the extent that Christ has shown us. And so we've sinned against God. We, we've done things wrong. And he says we love that. Those who reject Jesus, they're saying, I love this more than Jesus. I love this sin. Agape. I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to sin. It's what they, that's what that word love means. No matter how much it hurts me, 
here's the deal. You know how much it's going to hurt? You'll spend eternity in hell. That's not the kind of love that God wants you to experience. And you're making that choice. They're making that choice. Why? Because Jesus has come. We're reading all about him. It says, He who believes in Jesus will not be judged. Those who believe what God says, just like in the Old Testament with that snake, we believe what God said about that snake and they were healed. That poison was out of their system. Well, we look at Jesus and we can be spiritually healed by having spiritual life because that sin is out of us. In a sense of its impact for eternity. And he who believes in Jesus will experience a changed life. Those who reject Jesus are saying, I love my sin so much, I'm going to hang on to it. And I don't want anybody to know about it. I don't want anybody taking it from me. I don't want anybody exposing it. I like it. I'm liking this. And that's fine. If you want to live there, that's up to you. Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. But he says for those of us who have done this, what do we do? We pursue the light. In other words, we pursue Christ. We say, we open up our lives and we say, God, shine the light on us. Where is it that I need to become more like Jesus? Where is it that I'm failing to do life the way you want me to do it? And where do I need to change? Give me the strength to do it. Help me to do it. Why? Because I want to see, I want everybody to see what it means to follow you. To love you the way you love me. To love you so much it actually hurts me. Just like you love me so much that it hurt you. John goes on, talks about a conversation that John the Baptist had with his disciples and I'm not going to get into all that, but he eventually gets to his disciples and says, listen, I am not Jesus, or I'm not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And then he ends with this in John 3, 36, 35 and 36. says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son, in Jesus, has eternal life. That's a promise from God himself. But he who does not obey the Son by believing in him, in other words, will not see life but the wrath of God abides in him. So what are our takeaways? Well, we're going to answer the question, why did John put this in here? Here's why, because this is it. This is the answer. This is why John put this in here, because this is how we have eternal life, through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, you don't know him, you don't have that relationship, you don't have that confidence, then this morning is the morning to make it happen. And to admit to him, yeah, I have sin and I, you know, I'm revealing that, I'm exposing that for myself that I'm a sinful person, that I've done wrong, I've disobeyed you, and I don't want to be judged by you for eternity. I want eternal life and I want to become a child of God. And you just admit that to him and you ask him to forgive you of your sin and he says that he'll forgive you of your sin and you won't be judged. That's a promise from God. You know, going back to um, the physical birth. Um, that only happens once. There's no need for you to go back and be birthed again, right? Spiritual birth also only happens once. It's not something we keep going back to God for. It'd be like going back to our moms. Can I come back in? Can I come back in and go back out? You know, we, don't, we don't have to do that. 
We, we go to Him and say, please forgive me. And I'm trusting, I'm believing, I'm entrusting my full weight. I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting my spiritual being to you. And on what you said on your promise that you'll forgive me my sins and that I won't be judged. And at that moment, God says He puts His Spirit in us. We have spiritual life. We are spiritually birthed. And so when I ask the question from time to time, hey, if you want to pray this prayer, pray this prayer with me. If you've done that in the past and you are sincere about it, you don't ever have to do that again. Why? You're already in relationship with God. You've been birthed into His family. Understand that. In fact, do the second thing. Show your true belief by having a changed life. Get into God's Word and know what God has given you. Be here. Connect with your church family so you can be encouraged by them and you can encourage them. And in that, you'll gain more and more confidence and be more and more convinced of your salvation, of the fact you have a relationship with God. Know that when you're saved, when you're born spiritually, you are good to go for eternity. And thank God for that. Let's go ahead and stand. We're closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, thank you so much for this conversation that Jesus took time out of his busy schedule, took some time in the evening when I'm sure he wanted to rest. We'll find out next week that he actually gets tired when he's on earth. And so, but he took time, took time to talk to a guy who thought he knew but didn't. And Lord, uh, thank you for making it very, very clear about what it really means to be saved, to have eternal life. That is a spiritual birth that you do in us when we give ourselves to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. Give us a new heart. Give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we'll represent you well, that we will pursue Christ and that people will see in us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Appreciate it. Have a great week and represent Christ well.